Hi, Claire. I'm reaching out to you as a prayer word. This week, a bunch of self-identified conservative Christians found my Twitter page after some of my posted reflections on pediatric suicide started to spread among the more LGBTQ affirming evangelicals um, that I follow. What I didn't know is these circles have conservative evangelical followers who are there, I guess, to police them. Long story short, they found my page, which makes it clear that I'm gay and pursuing pediatrics and had a ton of Christians tweeting at me by name that I am a child molester and groomer because I'm a gay man going into pediatrics. And, and on a week where my entire job was caring for teens who wanted to either die after being molested by straight men, that was something I just couldn't take. My soul has gone through all kinds of different cycles of bitterness. I want to love the church, but Claire, I want to love the tribe. But the tribe is sick and it's needed of great healing. And I don't know what to do with that. Here's this guy. He's trying to be single and celibate. And these people are calling him groomers and pedophiles. We hear these stories not every day, but every week for certain. Well, today we're talking about a topic that we've continually talked about in this podcast. It's about sexuality. It's something that we know that culture is talking about. Sometimes the church is talking about it. Sometimes it isn't. We've looked at some of the data of what students are saying and where they're getting their ideas about sexuality. But today we've got an incredible interview for you to listen to. This will be gold. There's some great resources in here. And want you to pay close attention because there's a lot of great moments and nuggets in this conversation we're going to have today when it comes to students and sexuality. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. We have a special guest today, a good friend, what I would consider a mentor, uh, really also a titan of faith in our community. His name is Claire DeGraff. And in, in regards to this discussion, Claire brings a lot to the table. He has a long track record in his own personal life of multi-generational faith discussions that you definitely need to hear. But specifically in regards to our topic today, in 2016, with Dr. Preston Sprinkle, he formed the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And the center trains pastors to educate their people to be more thoughtful and kind to LGBTQ plus people and their families and still hold the Bible, the Bible's historical teaching on marriage and sexuality. He has an incredible personal website, Claire DeGraff. I'm going to spell that in a minute. With updated resources. One of the things I noticed and appreciated about his website is that his blog is up to date. I would say 99% of websites I go to, their blogs are out of date. Claire, yours is up to date. I was impressed. But Claire DeGraff, C-L-A-R-E-D-E-G-R-A-A-F, ClaireDeGraff.com. A lot more information about Claire and some great resources on there. Claire, we're so grateful that you're here. Thank you. Can't wait to have the discussion. All right. Let's do it. So... Tell us a little bit about your background when it comes to this issue of sexuality and students. Yeah, I sold my business 38 years ago, so I haven't had steady jobs since. And so I've had the luxury, the economic luxury, of just delving into lots of topics 
and to research them that other people just don't are able to do. And I love meeting with young people, and I've got uh, 17 grandchildren ourselves in college, out of college, high school. And probably about six years ago, seven years ago, I, I just came to the understanding that I don't really know much about the LGBTQ issue, that same-sex marriage just been approved legal in the United States. And I knew it, I believed theologically, but I really didn't know many LGBTQ people. And I don't know if I have any um, same-sex attractor LGBTQ people in my family. I, people have asked me, how did you get involved in this? Do you have a gay son? or Maybe I do, uh, but I, I don't, don't know that. But I'm an elder in, in, in the city to a large, um, in a large uh, evangelical church, and I've just had this gnawing feeling that we've not gotten this right. So I started going to human sexuality conferences where ranged everywhere for speakers from God is fine with same-sex monogamous relationships to all gays are going to hell. And, and as, as those conferences would end or the speaking times would end, I would meet with uh, people who self-identified as LGBTQ or their families and say, I don't want to argue theology with you. I would just like to hear what your experience is growing up in the church, coming out. What could we do better without changing what we actually believe about same-sex marriage and human sexuality? And so that led to dozens and dozens of meetings and dinners and lunches and so forth. And uh, and my wife, after one, said, let me ask you this. Doesn't it creep you out to be with all these people? And I said, you know, it used to, but I'm getting less creeped out. But I've been asking myself, am I creeped out because God taught me to be creeped out? Or am I creeped out because my time in Boy Scouts, military, on football teams where every man went out of his way to send out signals, I'm not that way. And so I said, I think I got my attitudes, not from God, but from the culture, and I need to rethink those without changing my theology. So that set me on a quest to, to try to figure this out and have, does the church, can the church have a better answer? So you mentioned there specifically, but, but, Share your views on this topic, especially when it comes to biblical perspective. Sure. So um, uh, our organization uh, um, uh, teaches that, that um, all humans are flawed. I mean, all humans, because of the fall, are sinful. Um, uh, and that we believe that marriage is only between a biological male and a biological female. We also believe that simply being same-sex attracted um, is not a morally culpable sin. In other words, um, on Judgment Day, just because someone is gay, if they've been celibate or they've married someone of the opposite sex, it is not a sin that they're going to be um, held accountable for. And, uh, and so uh, um, with that in mind, uh, um, uh, we, I think we can be true to the church's historical understanding but we want to repudiate the church's historical treatment of LGBT people. So we say all the time, one of our slogans are, if LGBT people and their families ever left our churches over theological differences, that should make us sad. But if they ever left because we we're unkind to them, that would make Jesus sad. Yeah, that's a great way of saying that. We, yeah, that, that's, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that because as you know, you mentioned it earlier, we're seeing a shift 
here in culture and generations. What are the differences that you're seeing? You can speak to this, obviously, as a, as a church elder in your own church, an elder in a larger respect, person that's gotten a lot of information, but also your personal life and your, and your family. What are the generational differences you're seeing on this issue? Yeah, I, I tell people that as a practical matter, um, most people roughly under uh, 35, Christians or non-Christians, are making our treatment, the church's treatment of LGBT people, the litmus test of whether they actually want to be part of any church or even be a Christian. Now, that's a general statement. Obviously, there are younger people who hold true to our values, but, but it would shock most grandparents and parents what their kids actually believe. In fact, I've met with a group of seniors at my church and uh, uh, to kind of lay out kind of our views. And I could see they were really skeptical about even talking about this. They just think just raising this topic alone is just a big slippery slope that ends in San Francisco as far as they're concerned. And so they don't even want to talk about it. And I said, well, let me just say this. If you love your children and grandchildren, you're going to have to become the thought leader in your family on this topic because otherwise you're going to wake up and find your kids are gone. They may not be telling you now because they don't want to get sideways with Nen or Papa or whatever they call you. But as a practical matter, by the time you find out what they actually believe, they're going to be gone. And, and uh, they said, well, do you want gays to come to our church? And I said, you know, in all likelihood, the loud and proud have already left. But it's the silent and scared we should be concerned about at our church. Our, our church, silent and scared LGBT people in our churches should never be that way again, ever. I was talking to a grandparent just recently, and uh, he was saying to me, he said, at this stage of my life, I don't want to risk my relationship with my grandkids to broach the subject because I'm not sure what they think. And this was, you know, a, a Christian family of several generations. What do you say to that? Uh, yeah, that's very typical. It's kind of like, I just don't want to make waves. Well, the problem is either you're going to be the thought leader they may not agree with you, but they should know what you think and why, and they should see a smile on your face that you're going to try to love LGBT people and their families and be as gracious as you can possibly can. And I think that it, to not have the subject, the culture is teaching your ch children and grandchildren. Someone is going to be teaching them. It'll either be your voice or theirs or both. So to do nothing is the most dangerous decision of all. And you have alluded to this in regards to the treatment that the, the church has towards the LGBTQ community. But what are we getting wrong with this generation and this whole discussion? Well, I think one thing is uh, older Christians, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm just saying 50, 50 or above, 55 or above, which in many evangelical churches range from mildly homophobic to redneck evangelicals, the way I <laughs> say it. <laughs> I think we're getting this wrong because we're seeing this huge shift, and, and there are some school districts that are 30 and 40% of California who are, they aren't sure whether they're male or female. I mean, if they take a, if they take a survey and say, how many of you consider yourself 100% male or 100% female? There are some surveys that are coming out in the 30 and 40% in between. And I think older people are going, 
Yeah, people are just getting nuts. I mean, it must be the rock music. It must be the culture and everything else. This will pass. Well, A, it could pass. Um, and but the whole idea of rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is a term um, coined by a brown researcher, um, because she says, I don't know why it's happening, why the culture is all, young people are shifting so dramatically, but it is happening, and we need to get to the bottom of it to find out what we can do to reverse it. So I think older people are just kind of writing it off like, oh my gosh, a few years ago there were 3 or 4% who were LGBT. Now it looks like the whole world's going nuts. Don't worry, they'll come to their senses someday. I don't think that's a luxury the church has can afford. Yeah, especially to wait and be silent right, and right. hope that it passes because that is a dangerous mentality. Yeah, so I, um, uh, I want to follow that up just a little bit because here's the other thing that I said to a group of pastors about a month ago. I met with about 40 or 50 pastors who are concerned about this issue. And I said, think about this for a minute. If you don't know whether you are actually a male or female, then there's no reason for you to study what it means to be a godly man or a godly woman or a godly father or mother or husband or wife. You're just kind of, well, I'm studying godliness in general. And that's a good thing. I'm glad they are. But you're not preparing yourself, and the church isn't able to prepare them to accept their roles in society and in family and in the church. And these are the future leaders of your church. So I said, that's just alarming. I said, I'm more concerned about uh, the the gender dysphoria and confusion out there than I am about gay or straight people. That's fairly simple, frankly. But it's that other piece of it, I think, that has long-term implications to, to the family values that we think are so important. Uh, yeah, the, the discussion that I hear with youth workers is, how do I even begin to have this conversation? So very similar, clearly, this last summer we talked to some youth workers from a, another part of the country, and they're saying, we've got a, a 14-year-old that wants to change gender, and their parents are on board, and their grandparents, and we are the only voice in their life that would disagree with that, but yet we feel like if we open our mouth, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to alienate them from us. And, and I think that's the great dilemma with this discussion when we talk about what we're getting wrong is it goes back to the the grandparent thing that you said it's it's the silence is the most dangerous thing we can do and yet as you know man it is a minefield when you're working with students and you're maybe you're say a volunteer youth worker that's listening to this podcast right now and go i know what i believe and i feel like the bible is clear on this but i really don't know what to do <laughs> because if i say one thing wrong and it could blow up right in my face. Yeah, uh, before you're going to have this conversation with young people, you better do your homework because they are well-versed. It doesn't mean they have a better understanding of truth, but they have a, a really well-informed understanding of what they believe their truth is. And so, yes, you need to read a few papers, read a few books, and prepare yourself for that. Um, for that eventuality. So the, the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, and gender and you can go to thecenterforfaith.com. And we have all kinds of free resources on there. There's pastoral papers on what happens if you're invited to a gay wedding, um, how to 
um, LGBTQ 101, uh, Grace Truth uh, 1.0. That's a booklet you can buy that gives you five lessons on just introducing you to the terminology, the, um, you know, that the fact that not all gays are alike. I mean, people say, well, you know, I, all these gays are alike. They all see Grace and Will on TV and they all think they're alike. Well, no, there are gays who are celibate. There are those who are not. There are those that are married to some of the opposite sex. There are those that are not. You know, saying that there is a gay lifestyle is like saying there's a straight lifestyle. You mean Anne Graham Lotz has the same lifestyle as Kim Kardashian? And they're both straight, you know, so we, yeah, we, we have right. these, these ideas we throw out that have some truth to them, but our kids know that they aren't true. And so you need to, you need to be well-versed before you just stumble into a conversation with your grandkids and get really defensive with the Bible and you haul out the word of God for them. Yeah, so they, you need to study and need to read. Even when you mentioned that just by having the attraction doesn't equate to a sin. Right. So understanding that where some students go, well, I'm attracted, so that must be my identity. You know, we we all have propensities to sin in different areas of our lives. There were, we're kind of just attracted to certain different things that are going to cause us to fall. And yet it doesn't create our identity based on that sin. But this one area, it feels like when when I have this attraction towards the same sex, I must be gay and I must now go down that road of being gay right. or whatever it may be. You know, yeah. so just by you saying it doesn't equate to a sin, you know, then to take it to the next step of how do I live with this attraction? Yeah. And I talk to, to gay guys all the time and they're occasionally like straight guys. They fall off the wagon. You know, about a year and a half ago, I had a guy call me and said, I was in Atlanta, and I I sinned. I, I, in a weak moment, I ended up the night with a guy, and I said, so what have you done? He said, I cried out to God for, to forgive me, and, and just uh, contacted my pastor, let him know, so that there's some accounting mm-hmm. build him life. Mm-hmm. And I said, so what do you think of that? And I said, your sins are forgiven. He said, can you do that? And I said, no, but Jesus has <laughs> already done it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just reminding you of what Jesus right. has already done. You've done what all of us who are straight people do, who make stupid, sinful choices. When we re- when we tell God it's wrong and we ask for forgiveness, we're guaranteed we're going to get forgiveness. Yeah. So that's that's different than the license to just say, well, I no, no longer going to call it a sin. Well, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's that's powerful. Well, we're going to take a break here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about some specific resources. And Claire is going to share with us some ways that we can engage with students specifically in this issue. So if you're if you're listening to this going, well, what do I do? This sounds good. I've got this website. We're going to get into a little bit more nuts and bolts and practical things of what you can do when, when we return. Okay, we're with Claire DeGraff. Claire, we're so grateful to have you with us and already offered some some great practical insight. We've talked about some of the ways that we're making mistakes, but what are your thoughts on where we might be getting it right with this generation when it comes to this discussion? Well, I'm not 
terribly optimistic. Uh, <laughs> this, this new generation has a different attitude about God and authority than most of us grew up with. I mean, there was a time when I grew up that I knew there was an authority structure in the world, and it was God, my church, at least that's what it was when I was a teenager, my father, my mother, and myself. And I knew I was the low man in the totem pole. Now, as a teenager, I did everything I could to, you know, <laughs> do an end run around some of that authority. But I knew that someday when I grew up and got married and had kids, I was going to fit into an authority structure that God had put in the world. But I grew up in a Christian school and churches, so I just never dawned to me that it wouldn't be. Today, I think younger people have that completely reversed. They're at the top of the heap and they work their way down, and they acknowledge God if they're Christians, and uh, but they go to their friends for advice and counsel. They don't go to the Bible for that, and they might give God two votes, because for heaven's sakes, he's God, but uh, they certainly wouldn't give him veto rights over their mor moral <laughs> decisions or views. Yeah. And so that's a complete upside down, and there's no quick answer to that at all, except I think that parents need to be far more serious about living the gospel than they are about simply believing in it. And I think that in my experience with younger people, what really drives them nuts is parents who, who say they take the Bible seriously but act unkind, they're not generous, they just don't live like Jesus. And, uh, and so I think that in the Christian world is the biggest danger to our next generation. The kids don't want to be religious anymore. Yeah, and I, I would say, too, my my experience working with youth workers, especially in the last four or five years, to, to speak on their behalf here for a second, I would say that, especially the younger ones, I would say, and again, I'm stereotyping here, but youth workers and leaders and pastors in their 20s, they youth ministry has always been the area of the church where the early adopters were you know a lot of the leaders obviously students are on the, the front edge of discussions and topics and things as they're evolving but i would say a lot of them have recognized this early on they start seeing it before probably the rest of the church in terms of hey things are changing students they're responding differently they're thinking differently and i have seen some some positivity there with them recognizing it but i do think a couple things with that. I think some youth workers have gotten swept up into different ideas rather than the traditional views that we would see in the church and the traditional view of Scripture when it comes to marriage and sexuality. But a lot of them are in that that mode where they're they're just kind of frozen. They don't really know what to do. And I think the the positive part of that is they're really trying to think it through. They really want to get off on the the right foot in this discussion. I think Claire, your your thoughts on being informed, like this resource that you have to offer us, really is is pretty incredible. Um, and that brings us to what can churches and youth workers do to engage in this issue? Uh, there's something specifically I know that you're doing. That's what connected us here recently off the air as a conversation, but. What would you say to churches, specifically those working with students, what can they do to engage students in this issue? Sure. Well, I don't want to seem like I'm hawking our goods and services, but <laughs> we actually have a program on um, uh, a video program. It's, 11, it's 13 weeks for high school ministry called Christian Sexuality. And it only four of the weeks are on LGBTQ, but it covers everything from 
just what is marriage to masturbation to everything. So uh, LGBTQ people shouldn't feel like they have a target on their back. This is, but we start out, Francis Chan does the first session and he essentially says everything we're going to be talking about from here on out comes from the Bible. These aren't just a bunch of evangelical ideas or, you know, old white men's ideas. This is actually <laughs> from the Bible. Yeah. And, and because we believe the Bible is our authority. Now, if you don't believe the Bible is your authority or accurate or true, we're obviously going to have a, we're going to have a, a miscommunication here. So, but we don't want you to be unaware of where we're getting our information from. And at that point, then we flow, you know, the rest of the way. And there's actually discussion in the first week on the authority of the Bible, because I think youth, leaders ought to know which kids in their groups actually believe the Bible's true and those and if it's true have they accepted the fact that God has authority over their life as exercised through the Bible if not at least you'd want to know what kids don't believe that so you could uh, get them address them differently separately but that's a program that a church can run for 200 bucks <clears throat> not only it's, uh, are there uh, these these 13 week videos but there's teaching videos for all the small group leaders and a link that you can send it to every parent can watch exactly what their kids are watching. So it's, you're not going to get this. What are you telling my kids? Mm -hmm. Here's exactly what we're telling your kids. You can watch it for yourself. All the written materials are available to every to every, all for 200 bucks. That's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you've also got a resource we're going to put in the show notes, an article you've written that you mentioned as well. That can help aid in that discussion. Talk a little bit about that article. Yeah, so I wrote it uh, about six, eight months ago, but I um, modified it recently because I had to speak to 1,100 teachers, um, Christian school teachers out at their annual, annual convention, and it's called An Introduction to the LGBTQ Conversation. And, um, and it's really meant for straight people, older people, to get a general idea of how do you th how should we be thinking about LGBTQ people in what different categories, um, what they think and believe, what, how they've been offended, and how we can actually relate to them and how we can teach that to your kids. Now, it's only a 10-page deal, so it's just, it's just, I call it LGBT 101. Uh, and so I'll give that to you. I'll give send a copy to you, and you can distribute that to people. But they're mostly my thoughts, but, but they come... Uh, significantly from Preston Sprinkle, who is a PhD in New Testament, um, taught at Cedarville College for several years, taught at Eternity Bible, Eternity Bible College for Francis Chan, co-wrote a book with Francis Chan, and, um, and so has, is, is clearly the thought leader on this topic in the evangelical church. Not to divulge your age, but what I love is the fact that you are not in my generation, you are not in the <laughs> younger generation. <laughs> For sure. That was but, a nice way of saying that. But you are invested in learning and knowing this topic to help the next generation. And that is essentially what we here at the Thought Factory and Never the Same want to do as well. And what I I love is that you're like, not your, uh, it's not, and not an issue or it's too much of an issue so i'm just going to stick my head in the sand and ignore it and hope that it just goes away but you're going i'm going to engage in this but it also doesn't mean i'm going to change my belief in what the bible says about it and so my question kind of resonates with what do you what do you say to the student who may be wrestling with that at school that is saying 
I want to show love, but I, I don't want that love to be changing my belief that it's still wrong. But on the flip side, if I don't show love or if I don't believe in them, that is considered hate, that I hate them. And so how do you how do you live in that tension of I have this belief and I want to hold on to this belief, but I also want to show them love without changing or being influenced in that their the opposing belief. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm 74. So Hey, I'm, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I am an old guy, but I don't want to be I want to be relevant to my children and grandchildren. And um and so uh answering your your last question, how do you actually hold to these beliefs? I haven't changed my beliefs at all. I've changed my understanding and I've changed my heart, but my theology hasn't changed at all. But here's the, here's the kind of awful naked truth of this. Even if you're kind and understanding and sympathetic with LGBT, some LGBTQ people, when you say that it's a sin, they're going to consider you hateful. That's just an occupational hazard of being a follower of Jesus mm. because it's, it's a threat to what they believe it's a threat maybe to their choices and you can't avoid that just don't make them your enemy the enemy satan is the enemy the world is the enemy lgbt people or straight people who are affirming that's the other issue in fact i i get more pushback from straight people who are affirming than lgbtq people that i talk to so i just think that yes it'll be unpopular and there's no way to reconcile that just make sure that nobody thinks of you as a hateful person in terms of your attitude toward them and just kind of lean into any relationship you possibly can that you might never change their opinion. But I also tell people, we Christians have lost sight of this issue. Even if you could get an LGBT person to stop having sex with somebody, same sex, if they're not a Christian, that's the least of their problems. We right. need to be introducing them to Jesus. Why would they ever say no to same-sex sex if they enjoy it and they don't think it's a sin at all? So I, let's, let's if I could get every LGBT people person in the country to stop having sex, they still are lost without Jesus. And let's keep our eye on the ball. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a great cue there, Claire. And Jason, that was a great question. It's a great cue for those of us that are youth workers in helping students navigate those situations. And I think that's one of the ways we can broach this topic of sexuality is just to, to take a couple steps back and talk to our students in general about this issue in society because obviously more than sexuality, the issue is if you disagree with someone right now, that can be misperceived as hate and our students are getting that from lots of different topics and areas, and we as adults are as well, but hopefully as adults we've, you know, learned from life experience how to navigate that, that, um, you know, that, that kind of falsely framed perspective that you can't disagree with someone and yet not be able to love them. And I think that's where, as a youth worker, if you're listening to this, just keep in mind that that's something that you can start talking to your students about, even to prep them for this discussion about sexuality, you can be saying to them, let's talk about this idea of holding firm to your beliefs 
and yet still being able to love other people? Because a lot of students don't know the difference because they've never been told they can do that. Well, as an adult, we are able to do that. We are able to say, yeah, I disagree, and that's not going to change my belief. But when there is insecurity for a student to go, what do I believe? What is the, I want to be accepted. I want it. And they they don't like that tension between a friend because there's that that opposing belief, then they might as well, well, I'll just believe you and affirm you and agree with you and disregard my belief. And they're just navigating the whole faith concept in general and gravitating towards certain things of the world. And so this is another topic. And, and yet as a, a Christ follower, and we, it's, it comes back to the heart and, and you know, all the, the heart flows our words and how we right. speak and the tone and how we show grace not just in our actions but in our our tone and 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 what we say and what we hold back in saying because we we may be feeling like this is you know bringing up you know just the blood pressure and we want to say something that's really hurtful or really hateful or whatever and it's like well we, the spirit gives us self-control too and we can con- you know, have self-control to, you know, step back and go, what can we, what can we do in the next three seconds to just pause, to be able to say the truth with love and grace? Yeah. And I think part, one of the ways we try to teach younger people and even older people, when someone makes a statement that just sounds wrong to us, rather than trying to rebut them and get into some argument, start asking questions. I'm curious, how did you come to that opinion? Why, why do you think that way? And just keep asking questions so that you actually get a basis for understanding. Did they actually, you know, most Christians who are affirming, that is they're fine with same-sex monogamous relationships, most Christians haven't sat down and studied for hours the Bible and all the arguments and back and forth and then come to some conclusion. And for sure, the students haven't done that. They've just kind of drifted into this, this argument uh, and the ideas based on the culture and everything else. So uh, um, ask the questions how they arrived at that. In fact, somebody said to me, I'm fine with same-sex marriage. A, a guy who's a Christian. And I said, what verses in the Bible did you use to come to that conclusion? He said, well, I, I don't know if there's any specific verses in the Bible. And I said, well, I think if you consider yourself a Christian, and I think you are, you ought to actually find out what God thinks. Does God have an opinion on this? And he says, he probably does. And I said, well, then God's opinion trumps yours or anybody else's and mine. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's what it means to be a Christian. <laughs> Yeah. So I said, at least find out from what the Bible actually says and don't just gravitate it because you just don't want friction in your family. So I think that's the dangerous part because if, if, if we say nothing, silence is consent. Yes. Yeah. Those are, those are yeah, incredible thoughts. It's, it's challenging, but just want to encourage you listening that this is, this is a discussion you need to be having and Claire, the resource site that you've set up is really amazing. I've spent a lot of time on that site. Let's tell them once more again. It's the Center for Faith. Yes, centerforfaith.com. The actual name of the organization is the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. Now, it's a bit of a misnomer because we don't actually have the office is in someone's basement. (laughs) 
(laughs) And it's mostly just a a resource for pastors and lay people to get very specific uh, uh, resources affordable that can help them grow as Christians to be more thoughtful in this area. Well, we thank you for your time today, Claire. Thanks for the resources. There will be that article you mentioned in the in the description of this particular episode and we're just grateful for your time Claire. thanks for all the work you're doing keep your eye on his website claredegraff.com and the centerforfaith.com as well for just ongoing resources and research in this topic but claire once again thank you thank you thanks for having me the thought factory podcast is brought to you by never the same whose vision is to see new generations transformed in christ to further the kingdom of god Learn more at neverthesame.org.